Welcome to Leverage Masters, airing weekly on Tuesdays at 12 Eastern and on demand on iTunes and Blog Talk Radio. Leverage Masters hosts Jack Humphrey and Gina Gaudio Graves discuss leverage strategy with guest leveragists. Be sure to subscribe to Leverage Masters in your favorite podcatcher for great tips and case studies on using leverage to achieve your biggest goals much faster. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Leverage Masters. I'm Jack Humphrey. Gina is out today. Uh, I hope everybody has uh, wished her well. She's getting better. But I'm flying solo today, so I'm controlling the buttons and I'm interviewing. So this should be exciting because sometimes things happen. But everything seems to be going well so far, so I'm not going to jinx it. Uh, We have a great guest today. Terry Wildman is... uh, with Intuitive Leadership. You can find her at intuitiveleadership.com. It is her consulting business, and she develops entrepreneurs and professionals into unstoppable, stress-resilient, intuitive leaders to positively serve and influence others. As an author, speaker, facilitator, and coach, Terry's timely message taps into intuition for self-connection, integration, and self-care. Terry, welcome to Leverage Masters. Thank you for having me. Can you hear me? Well, yes, and loud and clear. This might be hey. my most okay, uh, good. perfect launch of the episode so far. <laughs> Excellent. Usually well, I'll tell you, we are in the midst of a massive snowstorm, so I've been praying all morning that the connections would stay solid. So here we are. Where are you? The, the have been answered. It's terrible thing happening. Yeah, we're up in Rhode Island. Rhode Island. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I hear you guys have bought all the bread and milk and pickles and everything. <laughs> all the stores shelves are cleaned, and I don't know what everybody does with all the batteries that they buy and don't use during these storms. But it's a really great racket for the battery company, isn't it? It sure is. And uh, you know, my husband and I have been living here for 22 years, and we still giggle at how the stores are wiped clean of milk and bread, and we're just looking at each other like the stores will be open tomorrow. <laughs> Uh, We we giggle. I I enjoy it. I also picture a lot of people who are lactose and gluten intolerant just doing it out of a reflex. Like, oh, we got to get bread and milk. Like, people buy more (laughs) bread and milk than they would normally eat if there wasn't a storm. It just makes me laugh. I've never – I'm in Indiana, and we used to get snow. And uh, we remember what it was like back in the 70s when when it was like what you're seeing now. It was every winter – and I was a little kid thinking, Mom, why are you buying all this? Like, are we going to just live off of this stuff for <laughs> ever? Yep. I don't know who started the trend, but it's really funny. They have gone off the deep end, and it wasn't just the the regular dairy milk. Let me tell you, the almond milk, the the any kind of milk that you needed was off the <laughs> shelves yesterday. <laughs> Well, I'll start say? you out today like we do every day, every every week, and uh, ask you. We had a slight intro. It wasn't it wasn't enough. It was enough to tease everyone. But I want to start you out mm-hmm. like we do with everyone and say, ask, what got you out of bed this morning? What lately has been getting you out of bed with a fire in your belly to greet the day? What a great question. When I jump up and I just drove in from Pennsylvania yesterday after a. Uh, 
to beat this storm. And this morning, my feet landed ready to get onto my computer after having been away for a week uh, at expos and book signings and being with family. And I couldn't wait to connect with my tribe, my people, my peeps, and interact with them because I am so passionate about helping professionals and helping uh, fellow coaches, because I am a coach's coach, and entrepreneurs to spring back from the brink of burnout, to assist them to be grounded and stay there. And we all need that assistance. And I get such a charge to see how people elevate themselves, especially when they reach out to me and I give them feedback or guide them in a specific way, and it works for them. It's just, it, it just makes my heart sing. Isn't it cool to, uh, I mean, maybe you can talk about that a little bit. What does it mean for you to have a tribe? What does it mean for you to be out in the world with, uh, you know, relative strangers and people on the road Mm -hmm. making uh, abrupt changes in lanes without signals and all the, you know, all the junk, the regular stuff. What was it that made you, you know, really, really want to get back to them on a visceral level? You've made the connection with these guys. They're your like you said, yes. your tribe. What's that mean to you and yes. your business overall? Well, what makes them part of my tribe is that they also want to be phenomenal leaders. I am all about leadership. And they want to be the less, the best leader that they can possibly be. They want to end the self-sabotage. They want to do it from a stress-resilient platform. They want to be able to communicate well with the people that they interact with. And they recognize that sales, for example, is not sales as some people tend to think. It is having conversations on a daily basis with everybody around us, whether it's our kids, our husbands, our you know, the people we meet networking, the people in the grocery store. It's about attracting people to yourself that are like-minded, and it feels good to be around them. And they believe in your message and feel good when they hear you speak. So these are people who want to learn from me. These are people who, again, love leadership, want to learn more how to lead, want to listen to their intuition. That's a big part with intuitive leadership because they run away from it. We've been taught to run away from a lot of the things that are intuitive as children, And as adults, I bring them back to where they want to be, where they can hear those messages clearly. So that's what I mean by my tribe, the people who really want to learn from me, like the guidance that I offer, and want to become a better version of who they already are. What uh, can you tell us about this book that I'm seeing on your site at Intuitive Leadership called (laughs) The Enchanted Boardroom? What's that all about? Yes, the enchanted boardroom. Evolve into an unstoppable intuitive leader. Everything I just spoke about is incorporated in this book. It Whoa, is. That was a really good follow-up question, then, huh? <laughs> <laughs> it sure was. <laughs> um, my uh, my first book was written in 1998. And it was called uh, 1-800-COURTESY, Connect with a Winning Telephone Image. And in between there, I did five anthologies. And so this is actually my seventh book. I I don't really work with the anthologies that much anymore. And a lot of what was written in those books are now in, in the Enchanted Boardroom. 
And the Enchanted Boardroom is about leadership, and it's actually the first of a series. It's about leadership and understanding what leadership is really all about. It's about customer service and how you serve your employees. I talk about the waterfall model, which is the waterfall effect, which is the model that I created back in 1998 for my first book, and how in customer service we tend to have things flipped. We tend to make the customer king, and because the customer is king, we often tend to ignore the needs of our employees, whereas if we flip it around and focus on the needs of our employees and really make them king, what happens is they feel so valued and so appreciative that they do anything to assist and help and serve from a very natural, organic place. And you find companies such as Southwest, for example, who follow that model and have followed that model. And as a result, their employees don't leave. Their employees stay for years. And the employees that I have uh, interviewed have often said, I only plan to stay one or two years, and here it is eight or ten years later, and I'm still here because we just love this company. So I talk about that. We get into communications. We get into intuition. Um, we get into, believe it or not, I talk about entering the practical woo zone and how angels, because I'm very tuned into angels, angels have their place in business. And that's part of the Enchanted Boardroom. It's about going within into the inward journey to learn how to truly listen to those messages that come so that you can integrate the practical, the tactical, the logical with the emotional, the energetic, the intuitive, the spiritual, and the physical. So you become a very coherent leader. Wow. You just described something (laughs) that I haven't um really thought about. I mean, I've been, I've been given very little cause to think about over the last maybe decade because mm-hmm. all of what you just said seems to me to have been sucked completely out of the heart of corporate America. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. like that, I, you're the first person I've heard talk about that in forever. I thought we had, as a society, given up on anything no. resembling that. But, but you're saying that it's still still out there somewhere. Well, I'm here to talk about it. <laughs> I have lots of colleagues that are talking about it. And and, and part of what has happened is um, I own my own leadership center from 2001 to 2009. It was called the Winds of Change Holistic Education and Leadership Center. And in answer to your question, I'm a businesswoman who became a holistic practitioner to save myself. My health was uh, really in bad shape, poor shape. And the uh, I learned, how, I became a Reiki master in 1998. I learned EFT. I'm an NLP practitioner. Uh, I became a certified coach in 2001. I became a heart math coach uh, in 2002, on and on and on. And What I did and what I still do is I incorporate my work as a holistic practitioner in my work as a business coach. And the reason I do that is because I had to learn the hard way, again, as to save myself, frankly, to save my kids because my kids were very stressed out because I was stressed out. And, excuse me, when you do that and you incorporate all of it, you're very – you're in a state of harmony, 
okay? You're in a state of harmony with all the different areas in your life. And learning how to do that was highly important to me in leadership. Now, what I will say to to you is this. Corporate America between 2001 and 2009 was not ready to hear that message. I was ahead of my time. And I did close the center in 2009 when the financial uh, industry went bust. And since then, though, here we are, fast forward to 2017, and you've got corporate America where they are incorporating stress management techniques in the workplace. They are incorporating yoga places. They are incorporating uh, quiet rooms. They are incorporating exercise rooms. They are doing a lot of things for their employees because it has been recognized that these things improve health and healthy employees are critical to the bottom line of any company. The first key is to learn how to manage your stress levels. And that's why I say I bring leaders back from the brink of burnout. Because in bringing leaders back from the brink of burnout, I teach them the stress resiliency techniques to guide them to where they actually want to go individually and as a team and as a leader. Does that answer your question in regards to that? Yeah, but it brings up so many more, so I'm just going to keep chunking through them. Uh, Go for it. Keep pumping them out. (laughs) Yeah. Well, this is heartening. I mean, this is like, uh, to me, it's really good news. I would imagine to some of our listeners it is, too, depending on, you know, how much um, the average layperson even keeps up on this stuff, which I would imagine is not very much. I think that, you know, I kind of led on to what I felt like the prevailing – I'm sure it's mythology, but there's some truth to everything that people just feel like, uh, you know, everybody's out for themselves. And, and the people who are the ringleaders of that are, are the ones that get the most press and they're on TV the most. And, you know, in the news would be corporations that are really grabby and just seem to be out for themselves, out for, you know. And, and I think that a lot of people would be surprised to hear you say, the things that you're saying that are coming back and not just surprised, but very, very happy to hear that because it doesn't seem, I mean, the the press around this is, is exactly the opposite. We all just feel like the, you know, that ship has sailed and and may never come back. And you're saying it is, it has, it's alive and well. Absolutely. It is. And here's what's happening. Small business is growing very, very quickly in this country. It really is the backbone of our country. And you are finding so many entrepreneurs. If you start, if you take a look, if, if you take a, do a Google search on social entrepreneur or socially conscious entrepreneur, you will find there are so many entrepreneurs, and entrepreneurs grow businesses that become bigger businesses, and they become bigger businesses. And these are companies who are focused on making a difference in the world. And you may not always hear about them, okay, but they are doing so many wonderful things in being able to shift our energy, shift the consciousness of the United States and and around the world, actually. For example, one... um, When I owned my own uh, radio show uh, a while back, I interviewed a young man. This is an an example of, of what I'm talking about. This young man was in college up here in Boston. And as an entrepreneur, 
he created a business where he was helping women in Africa who had no one but themselves to be able to uh, help their families survive. And he brings the beautiful artwork that these women bring to the uh, make, I should say, to the United States. This is a young man in his senior year in Boston, okay, at school. And it was so impressive to see how he graduated and has grown this business really to, to a very large enterprise. And that enterprise has expanded into other areas that we would call socially conscious enterprises. And it's about doing business from the platform of making a difference and serving. And you'll find that a lot of entrepreneurs today, they realize and get it that it's about being of service that brings in the income and helps to make a difference in the world. If you focus on money and that's all you want is money, it's going to be more challenging to be uh, successful, quite frankly. But if you focus on service and really attract people from that place of coherence that I call it, because you're competent, confident, and you're credible in what you're doing and how you want to serve people, that kind of service from the heart actually brings more and more people to you. It's called feel-good marketing. Feel-good marketing yeah. and serving other people. You know, I was Hello? just uh, I was okay. messing around with my Facebook page. I think we have a little tiny bit of a delay, so <laughs> I'm still here. Okay. Uh, I was messing, messing around on my Facebook business page. Um, you know, it's Jack Humphrey Marketing, and I haven't really done much there because Gina and I have been working on, uh, you know, Divizio and Directions University and the books and all of that. And I kind of let mine go for a while, and I've been wanting to get back into it. And today, before the show, I was – just fiddling around with it. I'm like, wow, it was interesting when I set it up in 2013, maybe uh, the things I said about myself and my business and, and so many things have changed. And so I'm going through and I'm putting in new details and I'm not really excited about what I'm doing. I was kind of in a hurry because I had to prep for the show and, you know, I, I knew I didn't have that much time. So I was writing down facts and details about the things that I do. And they're all just a bullet list of stuff that I do and things that I help people with. And I couldn't figure out why it wasn't working for me, why it felt so dry and clinical until you just mentioned all that stuff and remind me <laughs> that things, you know, the passion has to be there. And I, don't, I, wasn't, I was in a busy mode, so I was trying to write down things. And what I wasn't thinking mm -hmm. about is why I do this stuff in the first place. And you just reminded me that's exactly. what was missing how I was setting that up and how I was representing myself, which was just a bulleted list of skills that I have. Isn't that funny how yep. you can learn this stuff and then need to be reminded of it constantly? At least I do. It's yes, why well, I, I think we all do. I mean, it, because your why is huge and your why changes. Your why can change. It's about giving yourself permission to allow your why to change. I mean, our lives can change in five seconds. There's an event that can happen that can literally spin us around. And in that moment, your why of what you do, of why you do something changes. And, 
or it can make it even stronger. So it's about listening to those events that land at our feet to assist us to move forward. So there's no mistake that I'm here with you having gone through that interaction this morning on your Facebook page. You know, it's just amazing how, you know, the, the universe connects the dots, and when we need help, it shows up when we least expect it, when we get out of the way. Yeah. And that why of why we do things is huge. And a big part of what I teach in the book is magnetic business attraction. And magnetic business attraction is focused on law of attraction. I just take it as a level up. And with magnetic business attraction, when you step into that allowing place to allow your answers to come to you, they will. You tapped into that feeling. I don't like how this feels. This doesn't feel good. What's going on here? And boom, the answer came. Yeah. Right. Oh gosh, and that's you know you've almost described every week of the show because so many things happen that are in relation to things that are going on. Little, you know that red car experiment. You tell everybody to look for red cars, and that's all they'll see the whole day. Where before they didn't really seem to notice that they're <laughs> exactly. pink in particular, or pink cars or whatever. And uh, I mean, and it's just it's really fascinating how much we seem to need to put into. Um, our development on a regular basis, on our um, nourishment, you know, where in my case, in this example, it's having guests like you on every week and who remind me constantly of things that I forgot or things that I got a little off track or, you know, because I invite specialists and you come and talk about your specialty and you're very focused where I might be very diffuse. And I'm also talking about people who listen to podcasts like this one. You might be very diffuse yeah. and, and thinking about a million different balls that you have in the air. Then you get these specialists on, these experts, and they just hammer home a point or two or three that they are there to talk about. And it's really brilliant. The whole model is wonderful because it makes you, like you're on the show to talk about your thing. And that's what everybody's expecting. Mm-hmm. So you're really focused. And then you get a bunch of people who are like, okay, i got to go listen to the show. I'm driving or I'm whatever, and I'm thinking about a million things. And, and then everybody, it suffice, it gets everybody focused. And it's so wonderful because so many little serendipitous events like we just talked about happen that way. Yes, they do. They do. And every, you know, there are opportunities everywhere you look. Everywhere. And it's about getting outside of ourselves. You know, sometimes we get, we get, we choose to become very small in our thinking. And when we let go of our smallness and step into being open, it allows us to open our vision, open our hearing, open our emotions to being able to really see the opportunities that are in front of us. And when we do that, it can be a very magical experience. And, that, you know, some people might say, oh, Terry, you got to use the word magical. Well, yes, I am going to use the word magical because we can really open the door to so much wonder, so many wonderful things if we keep focusing on what we really want, our heart's true desires, not what we think everybody else wants us to do, but what we really want to do and the fact that you're talking about guests that assist you 
you're doing this because you know you need this. You're doing this and interviewing guests because it helps to keep you on track. And that's a very powerful part of your why in doing this show. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yep. You nailed it. Yeah. I mean, I, okay. get, uh, I get free counseling. I get financial advice. <laughs> I get all of these things. And then I just happen to let everybody else listen in on that. And whatever they there get you out. There you go. <laughs> but, at some, but at some point, I, it really is a lot about that. When I get anxious to get on with it, when's the show? Let's do this. Somebody else is going to come on and blow my mind, and this is great. There are times where I really think back and go, I don't think I was thinking about our listeners at all right there. <laughs> I mean, cause ah. I was just in, in it for myself at that moment. I was like, wow, this is going to be great for me, just for selfish reasons. Mm-hmm. And in my selfishness, uh, sharing it with everybody else kind of takes the edge of that off, <laughs> I guess, a little bit. Uh, but however, awesome. may I point something out? Mm-hmm. Your listeners come in. They are your tribe. And they are present because of you and Gina and what it is that you offer. So when you are listening to a guest who is helping you grow and is helping Gina in whatever way, you are, as a result, assisting them. That is how you grow your tribe. Because you, which takes us back to the beginning of our conversation, are... At, you are the hub, and when your guests help you, they're helping all of your listeners because they are similar to you. Right. Yeah, I just uh, I just thought about you know when you said to to branch out, get out of yourself, and everything. One of the the easiest softball ones of that is to go to workshops or conferences or something, and everybody's getting back from traffic and conversion. And I just love all the bright, shiny faces on Facebook with everybody sharing their their whole role, uh, if that ages me, <laughs> of film um, mm-hmm. on Facebook, all the pictures that they took and all of the great things that they experienced and the big, fat smiles on their faces. And they're tired, but they're still smiley sounding on Facebook and other social when they're talking mm-hmm. about this was great. It was the eighth year in a row. This is the best one. And what I saw was a depiction of the kind of, thing that you just described, which was getting out of themselves. They literally got out of the house, which is a, a you know, kind of our, can be our prison sometimes, those of us who work yes, it can. at home, and, uh, and, and literally going across the country or coming across the border to another country or whatever, and all these guys did it, and I love the energy, and the thing is, I didn't even go to Traffic and Diversion this year, I didn't even, but I got a a zing out of that. I'm like, whoa, for a little second, I know exactly what that feeling is. So it recalled it in me. And I'm like, dang, I feel inspired. And I didn't even go. I didn't even, you know, meet new people or anything this time. (laughs) It was really Mm -hmm. wild. That's really cool. So I like that. Yeah, I like that. You like that? I wonder. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to keep doing that. I'm going to keep looking for that stuff. So in... Tell me, tell me what kinds of things that you've done, what kinds of breakthroughs you've had with clients that you'd like to talk about, with one particular client or, you know, any story that you would like to tell about how you found somebody in a particular state maybe that we've described mm-hmm. already today somewhat and how you 
opened them up and got them out of themselves and, and what that might have done for their business or themselves personally, however you would like to take that. But I would love to hear an example of the kind of people you work with okay. and maybe something you can recall that you've done that you were really proud of. Sure. Well, um, the first thing I've done is, and I'm very proud of this, as a volunteer over a 20-year period, I did assist our men and women in the service transition from the military into the civilian world uh, by being part of a, pro- of a program called the TAP program. And it felt so wonderful to be able to work with them and give them what they needed. Uh, my husband's retired military. My daughter's active duty military in, in the Navy. And these men and women put their heart and souls on the line to help us. So to be able to help them really, really uh, just warm my heart. Now, I don't do it anymore. Um, occasionally I will run across somebody who recognizes me, and we talk and we work it through, and, and I coach them uh from the heart because I want to and it's and it's wonderful. So that's the first and primary for me is helping our servicemen and women. Um the latest uh example I can give you was a recent VIP session that I had here. I um worked with this person here in my home for over a weekend and the comment came through that almost with a little bit of shock uh you really are a business coach. Okay. <laughs> That's why you're here. That's why you're paying me. <laughs> and the difference between what I did and her experience with other coaches was the integration of holistic skills that I have, holistic tools that I work with, which I call shiftology, to assist them, to assist people to break through and dissolve self-sabotaging behaviors and blocks that have been in the way of business people achieving success. And I have my own recipe of tools that I work with depending on the client. And we shifted an awful lot of self-sabotaging emotion. And we were able to get specific business systems in place to assist them to go to uh, a place that felt really good for them. So that was uh, the most recent that I worked with. And it was a lot of fun. I love doing those because we all, as entrepreneurs, as professionals, as leaders, as business people, we end up going to those places where we self-sabotage. And when you have someone on the outside that can look at you from a 360 perspective and assist you to break out of your shell, assist you to break through those self-sabotaging and emotional behaviors, there's a sense of freedom that occurs uh, mentally, physically, and emotionally. Your health can actually improve because this is something that you may have been holding on to for a long period of time and not even realized it. So that's, uh, are, are they two good examples for you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was I was wondering about when you mentioned um, self-sabotage and things like that. I mean, I'm as familiar with that as any human being probably could be, uh, you mm-hmm. know, because I think we all 
stupid. I think everybody would admit that there's some well, of that in, in just being human. <laughs> Um, when it comes yeah. to business, what do you think, what, especially when somebody has been presented with something that they have vetted, they have really checked out, and in their gut and on paper, this thing that I could do in my business, maybe it's, a, it's a, just a tiny uh, direction uh, change or you know, just a little alteration to what they're doing, or maybe it's a really big decision, but but they've made the decision that they totally trust in their gut and on paper that this thing would do really well. It would be really a good thing to do for them financially, maybe financially and personally. When somebody sees something like that and they still self-sabotage, what is going on there? Like this isn't somebody saying, I think I'm going to play the lottery today. Nah, I don't do that. It It's more like this is a really good opportunity for me. And this person is kind of reaching out or, this opportunity, whatever it might be, what makes people stop in that instance? What kind of self-sabotage is going on there? Well, that may not be self-sabotage. What that may be, it could be, it could not be. If it is, and I'm not going to call that self-sabotage. What what I'm going to call that is something inside. There's a fear there that stops them from Mm -hmm. moving forward to an opportunity that, um, has landed and the self sabotage piece that comes in is a fear of success. Uh fear of success and fear of failure are two sides of the same coin. Okay? Fear of success and fear of failure. An individual may have had may have quote unquote failed, which I don't believe we fail, but uh have failed in a prior situation and that energy has moved forward, so folks are scared to take that final leap because the same thing could happen. Okay, so again, it could be fear of success or fear of failure there. What we need to determine is, is it indeed fear of success? Is it indeed fear of failure? Or is it that intuitive place that is saying danger, danger, danger? This really isn't where you want to go, and it's not a real fit. How many times does that happen when you see con artists, okay, and people falling victim to con artists? So it could be that wise, intuitive, spiritual place of yours that is saying, take a step back. Let's look at this again because it's not what it actually appears to be. So there's different levels that need to be looked at in those situations. Is it self-sabotage from fear of success or fear of failure? Or is it your wise, intuitive, spiritual self saying, danger, danger, we need to really take a good look at this? Yeah, good point, yes. Well, it's the words fear of success just don't seem to even go together. It's certainly not like peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense to a logical <laughs> mind that those three words right. go together. And can you explain a little bit more about why we would even come up with the concept of, and also practice, a fear of getting everything we want? I don't understand that. I never have. Well, a lot of it can be uh, how we were raised. For example, I'm going to give you a, a really powerful example here. A client I had a while back is an accountant, a CPA. And one of the questions she came to me with was, why can I not earn more than this amount of money? 
And she says, everything I do, I, it's like there's this level that I get stuck at. And after questioning, what we discovered was her parents never earned more than that amount of money. And mm. as a result, that was the influence, the subconscious influence that was creating what we call a glass ceiling with her being able to make the leap. So we went in and we dissolved that energy. We dissolved that self-sabotage, if you want to call it that. We dissolved that memory. And she now is a highly accomplished CPA earning what she wants to earn. So what often happens are these blocks from childhood. Uh, if it's money, you may hear uh, in, your, in the back of your mind our parents saying money do- doesn't go on trees, we can't afford this, uh, who do you think you are to own something like that. You know, These are common phrases that we hear as children. And we bring... Excuse me, we bring these things forward with us into adulthood. And oftentimes that's what happens with our money consciousness. We have challenges with money because those mantras are in the back of our minds. Or there are specific uh, scenarios where uh, from um, different cultures – Okay, we, are, we live in a mixed culture society. Different cultures have different perceptions of money and success. And those energies can be influencing us. So there's a lot of things that can be under the surface and subconsciously affecting us and bring, bring out this fear of success or fear of failure. It's amazing, you know, uh, you, if you're into Buddhism, you were told, and Zen and all that stuff, you're told to embrace now. Now is all that ever existed. There was never a past, yes. there's never a future. Now is the only thing there is. And uh, and you get really into that. I'm talking about myself. And I think other people do, too, when they get into this stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and you're like, oh, no, well, that's, that's how this is, and that's who I am now, and I'm going to really practice that. I'm going to meditate every single day. I'm going to be... Somebody who appreciates more than now than anything else. I'm not going to live in the past. I'm not going to bring up. But then we get into discussions like this, and it seems very needful that we we understand because there, you just described something that's in someone's past that is affecting their now very much so, right? Yes, it is. So you yes, have you to know that there. How do you, what if you don't know that that's the problem? I mean, I guess you're just, just – I'm describing everybody that's out there that feels lost right now in their business or personal life um, or both, and they don't know why. And I think you just described a really big why, but if they don't know how to look for the, that kind of an answer or they're too zen and they're just totally living in the now and not in the past, they'll never go find the answer to why they might not – well, they might be at a ceiling right now that they can't seem to get past. It's really a kind of a weird paradox, isn't it? Yes, it really is. And it is important to live in the now. It is important uh, to, and I'm going to describe something that is actually going to be part of a TED Talk that I'm going to be giving on March 25th. We talk about work-life balance. Yeah, it's a lot. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, we talk about work-life balance, okay? And work-life balance, technically, as we know it, is a myth. 
It really doesn't exist. I mean, think about it. Who do you know? And I am going to bring this around to your, to your question, uh, to the comment you just made in just a moment. Who do you know in your world has actually achieved work-life balance? And if they're retired, that doesn't count, okay? Yeah. <laughs> it does not count. So the thing with work-life balance, if you look at the scale, about, you know, a, a scale like scales of justice, okay? When that scale is in balance, Okay. What do you notice about that scale? Can you see it in your mind's eye? Yeah. Level. What's happening? Um, stasis. Exactly. It's, it's still. It's not and moving. It's not moving. So we're chasing work-life balance. So is that what we really want? To not be moving? That's not life. Right. Yeah, right. Life is about movement, and a better term is work-life harmony, because the scales can then move between the different areas of our lives, and we can be fully present in the moment, as you're talking about, with each area of our life. Now, that stasis, that scale that is non-movement, it does play a role. And that role is when we go to that meditative place, when we go to that place of silence, when we go to that place that allows us to hear the messages from within versus getting the messages from outside of ourselves. So that work-life balance actually plays a huge role and allowing us to hear, see, and feel the answers that we seek. So if you don't have a coach, if someone, you know, for myself personally, I always have a coach. And I'm very specific as to who the coaches, uh, about the coaches that I hire, that there have there has to be specific elements. They have to be leaders. They have to be um uh, in integrity, they have to be truly spiritual. Th- those are some of the values that I look for in a coach. So when they see certain things that I'm not doing, they assist me by going into that place of balance where I can go inward and find out what's working and what's not working. But to we don't chase work-life balance. That's a myth. What we want is work-life harmony, and the work-life balance allows us to gain our answers. Does that make sense to you? Absolutely. Well, it brings up an even, uh, maybe not deep, (laughs) but we're getting into it here. But I I hope everybody's getting something out of this. And and I would take it a little bit further to go that I started something called uh, the Thrive Global Challenge. And my naive purpose for it in the very, very beginning was um, to help make the world happier. Anybody that came in contact with and any of the tools that I gave out and helped people with would help people to become happy. And I just left it at that, let become happy. And then I went further in my training, and I went kind of into my cocoon state where I didn't feel like I was, uh, you know, I felt in the beginning I, was, it, I could totally talk to people for hours about everything that I'd learned, and then I hit some kind of a stage where I cocooned and said, I'm not worthy to say anything to anybody not only that, I don't even want to. I don't want to. I want to stay on my inward journey here for a little while and learn more myself. 
and and I'll you know so I switched that all around. But my and then I came back out of that cocoon and I learned some things in there. I learned some things about conflict and suffering and how life is made up of all of these things for a reason, and that we don't in this lifetime get over, so to speak, suffering or conflict or resistance or anything like that. In fact, there are so many examples in my own life where I came back from something. I never really went anywhere, but it's a a way to, in our limited language (laughs) that we have, depict something. I came back from uh, really bad times, stronger, better, um, more even keeled, more able to handle resistance and, and, and um, handle challenges and things. And if we're being honest, everybody's got that in their past where they realize if you're still here, you came out of something. You went through something, however you want to depict it. But you can also make really strong ties to the fact that you wouldn't be exactly who you are and where you are today without that thing that happened. That was, And I fear that a lot of business people and a lot of people in their personal lives are actually waiting for something in a future where there is little to maybe even no strife or, you know, that, to, to allow that there would be bad days or you're not happy and that that would be okay. And I had to go back inside my cocoon and reconcile all these things because that's what made yeah. me not able to feel like I could even talk to people about this stuff until I figured it out myself. I said it in a very mm. bad way. Can you clean up what I just said and make it make sense <laughs> to the listeners? Well, sometimes we we feel like we're the only ones who are going through something. When in fact, because energy expands, you may be surprised if you put it out there that lots of people are going through what you're going through. And mm. When we have the courage to ask the powerful question, and you don't even have to say that it's me, you know, that, that's this. I have these thoughts, I, I have these questions. What are your thoughts on this? You may be surprised at how many others are in the same boat that you are floating around in that rowboat thinking that they're by themselves, when in fact they're not. They're not. Yeah. And it's important for us. We get so fearful of thinking it's only us. It is never only us. Ever. Ever. And there's yeah. always other that you can reach out to to help you. Or that will at least say, I'm there. <laughs> I'm there too. Yeah. Well, that's really actually really cool. And, you know, it's funny because it's what I uh, kind of excel at. It, you, you just mentioned the same kind of thing that I do when I've always had a podcast. And all I, and I've always described myself as a good riffer. I can riff off of an idea. I can riff off of something that's already happening. And I don't enjoy always, although I do, but I don't always enjoy creating from scratch or coming from a leader position where it's like, all right, you're all here to listen to me. I've never, and anybody who's been around me for all these years knows that's a fact because that's so, you know, that's the way I produce things, not maybe necessarily content, but happenings like a podcast or like um, when I would go into a group and do exactly what you just said, ask them. And only, my only role in that is really to just be a facilitator 
the venue, the webinar, whatever it is, I'm helping to provide that, helping to provide a little organization, but relying on the whole crowd to co-create is really where I kind of thrive. And it takes the pressure off of what I mentioned earlier about having an answer of any kind about the questions that I was asking because I didn't really know what I could say that would be a definitive answer. I didn't have to stop myself there. I could have done what you just said. Yeah, and here's the thing with facilitation. You called yourself a facilitator, and I want to applaud you because there's a huge difference between a facilitator and a trainer. And as a facilitator, you are like a maestro. A maestro knows by, by reading the music when to bring in the wind instruments, when to bring in the percussion, okay, when to bring in the the um, what do you call it, the the, the trombones and the well, whatever, okay. He or she Triangle. knows exactly what to bring in at each moment to create music. That's what a facilitator does. A facilitator is a maestro. They put it out there. They know what questions to ask. They know what to bring out of what person. And facilitators are very powerful people because they are doing what we call third-level listening. They are listening to everything, not just the words, but they're listening to the energy. They're listening to the downloads that come to them, and they bring it all together to assist the people who are following them, their tribe, to be the best that they could be. So I want to congratulate you on that because that word facilitator carries a huge amount of weight. It's beautiful. Thank you, because I always thought, oh, just a facilitator, and other people who go out and they teach, you know, from a pulpit, and, and everybody respects them for that. They're not making it up. They're really good at that. But I, I look at those guys and I'm like, well, I'm just a facilitator, and although I have a lot more syllables in my title than they do, <laughs> it doesn't mm-hmm. feel as big. It doesn't, but my experience, these are the two parts of my brain that are fighting all the time. My experience is the opposite. I've done incredible things with groups where I've just facilitated, merely facilitated, or, you know, here I am sabotaging my own (laughs) thing, but that's the way I felt about it. It's like, how did that have any value in the world? You're the first person that's ever told me that definitively, that it does have that kind of value in the world. It has even more, because what happens is with speaking, speakers on stage, and I'm a professional speaker, and speakers on stage, we deliver messages, Okay, we deliver messages. And in delivering the message, sharing our stories, creating aha moments in the audience, that's what speakers do in sharing their stories and their experiences. But once that speech is finished, where do we go from there? A speaker from the pulpit does the same thing. Um, when you are listening to someone from the pulpit, they're delivering. It, it, it's, they have a responsibility to create an experience within the person based on their words. A facilitator takes it a step further. A facilitator, that's where you can go into the mastermind. That's where you can go into coaching groups, for example. A facilitator takes it, or, or a Facebook group, so much further. And... You know, I used to call myself a trainer. As a trainer, I delivered information, and I taught people how to do specific things. 
the facilitative side of it came when I was able to incorporate what I learned as a coach, my training as a coach, learned how to ask powerful questions and listen to the downloads that came to be able to get people to integrate the information. Okay, you are a facilitator, and please just recognize that your role as a facilitator is immensely powerful and needed today. Awesome. I feel better. Hey, and you have really done a <laughs> bang-up job of demonstrating just what kind of coach, consultant that you are. I mean, that's that's some good stuff right there. So I think it, you know, a lot of times people will come on and you don't get that feel for what it would be like to be your client, what, you would, what it would be like to work with them. It doesn't always come across. That came across really clear. So anybody listening who needs a little bit of help, you just got a taste of what it's like to work with Terry. And, uh, and I got some free consulting. So blah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Thank you. That was fun. Yeah. What what kinds of things do you do really quickly? We've not got that much time left, but uh, before we go, we have to of course talk about leverage a little bit more. Although there's been been riddled throughout today, let's let's meet it head on. What are the favorite things you like to do, or one favorite thing you like to do, where you know you've got to go a certain distance? You got to maybe get on a stage that's a little bigger than you've ever been on before, or you know you got to make certain connections or whatever. What kind of leverage tactics? What kind of leverage comes to mind? when you also don't have a lot of time, like you can't spend a whole bunch of sweat equity, you can't spend a whole bunch of time getting to a goal that's, uh, that's you know, kind of coming up. Um, what sorts of leverage comes to mind when you've got to get somewhere fast and you've got to use connections, networking, um, or any other leverage tactics that you like to employ to accomplish something pretty big in a, in a, in a relatively short amount of time? For me, there, there's three things that came up with for me when you were talking, uh, when you were asking that question. Number one is speaking. I love speaking, whether it's speaking for free where I can sell from the stage, or speaking from a percept, from, uh, paid speaking. Uh, obviously, I prefer paid speaking. However, uh, I will speak for free as long as I can have a table in the back and I can work with people, interact with people, and talk uh, with folks. The other piece is this TED talk. It's huge for me, uh, and I will be – There you go. Uh, it does make me a little nervous. I'm not going to kid you. Uh, I've been speaking since yeah. I was in high school. Actually, since grammar school I have been speaking, and this specific event does have an edge on it. I'm not going to kid you. <laughs> uh, so doing things like TED is a big deal. The other are webinars. You can reach so many people on a webinar because it's something that's live and active. And you, if you make it evergreen, people can listen to that message for uh, a long while. Podcasting, like what you're doing now. Podcasting is huge leverage because this podcast can go – uh, how can, you can get a lot of traction and a lot of mileage out of something like this. And so those are the biggies for me. And then from there, you can create coaching groups. If you're a coach, uh, you can create mastermind groups. Uh, writing a book is a wonderful thing. Uh, but people think you make a lot of money in writing books. Uh, well, you don't. You have to be a really, really famous author in order to really make up money and get a, a writing contract, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and I'm very fortunate. I've had a publisher for every book. However, 
It's the marketing behind that book and how you use the book for leverage for the other uh, services that you have that really makes a difference. So that's how I leverage the different compartments of my business. Well, whoever invited you to be on the show must have known what the heck she was doing. It must have been Gina or it could have been Carrie, but wow, because you match up so well with, with listeners and our bachelor community, our uh, Divisio and Directions University community. You're just the type of person we love. And we have so many other people I who thank are you. in the same area doing the same kind of stuff. And I'm like, it's uncanny how we get guests like you more often than not. It's really weird. So I guess our targeting is really good for our guests. But uh, thank there you, you so much for sharing with me today. Is there anything you'd like to leave everyone with? What's the indelible impression you'd like to leave right before or after I tell everybody uh, where to find you? Or you tell everybody where to find you because I lost my screen. Where's the best place for people to get in touch with you? <laughs> Well, the most important message that I have for folks is to please listen to your heart and listen to your intuition. Breathe into your heart because when you breathe into your heart, you are connecting the logical, practical mind with the emotional heart, which is actually a brain. So you create, you're merging those two brains. And when you merge those two brains, you become a powerhouse. So please listen to your heart and listen to your intuition in everything that you do. Stop. You know how they say stop? Look and listen. Please stop, look, and listen. And after you listen, then you take inspired action. And people can find me at www.intuitiveleadership.com. And on Facebook, my Facebook page is Intuitive Leader. And they can also find me at Terry, T E R R Y, Wildeman, W I L. D-E-M-A-N-N on LinkedIn. And that's Wildeman, no R, two N's. <laughs> W-I-L-D-E-M-A-N-N. Not wild man like I introduced you. I'm so sorry about that. <laughs> oh, no. Wild man is fine. That's what my husband, <laughs> that's my husband's call line. <laughs> the Navy called yeah, his, yeah. his back. Wild man. That's okay. I'm married to the wild man. It works. Good. All right. Cool. Well, Terry, thank you so much for spending time with us today on Leverage Masters. We really, really appreciate it. it I'm, I don't say this to everybody. You are uh, awesome, and that was a fantastic hour of stuff. So if anybody is just tuning in, make sure you get to the recording at theleveragists.com. Uh, it'll be up in a little bit if you're listening live. And, of course, it's meaningless what I just said to you if you're listening to the recording. But everything is over there. All of our guests are really, really awesome. And they are all over at theleveragistswithanf.com. Terry, thanks again. Thank you very much. Have a brilliant day. Tune in next week for another episode of Leverage Masters. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook on our Leverage Black Book page to keep up with the latest. We'll see you next time on Leverage Masters.